Okay, so today's daf is Tzedrayin. We pick up on the Gemara right after the Mishnah on Yudal and Amakzat. The Mishnah mentioned a couple of things that you had 13 of, 13 Shofar wrote, which is what we're going to focus on. But then also a fascinating story about when I mentioned 13 bowing downs that they did in the Beit HaMikdash, that um, the house of Rabbi Gamliel and of uh, Rabbi Hanani Yaskan Kohanim would bow down a 14th time opposite the Deir Ha'itim, the room where they kept the wood. And they had a tradition that the Aram was... Uh, buried underneath that room and a story where somebody Cohen actually saw something unusual about the flooring in one section and went to tell somebody about it and dropped dead and that was a proof that he had obviously had discovered the secret hiding place of the Aron so let's take a look at the Gemara I'm sorry Tetvav Amadad I, I keep on thinking where Tetzayin is the official doc we pick up on Tetvav Amadad I don't know what I said the Aron from the Bayez Rishon the Aron from uh, well, we're, about, we're going to find out about that, okay? But they didn't have it in the Bayesheni. So the question is, what happened to it? And according to this Mishnah, it had been buried before the Chorban Habayis, so it would not get taken away, and it was hidden somewhere under the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara. Um, Tani, HaShofarot HaLalu, these Shofarot, which we're going to find out in later Mishnayot, they would, people would come and they put money in for different Korbanot and different purposes. Akumot Hayu, they were bent, they were sort of pyramidical, narrow at the top and wide at the bottom. for the in order to protect against the deceivers or the cheats. So you put in a little slot in the top. You can't stick your hand in to get the money out. It's very narrow at the top. Also, it might be bent. Like if you imagine the money goes down like a curved type of a thing, you know, like it, so you certainly can't stick something in and pull it out, right? If it's curved, you know. So anyway, okay. So, um, okay. Tani Bishim Rebelezer. Now that's all we had to say about the chauffeur. We'll see more about the chauffeur later. Now we get the fun up, now we get the opportunity to talk about the Aaron. Ha'aron gala imahem lebavel. The Aaron was not hidden under the Beit HaMikdash. It was taken into exile in Babel with all the rest of the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. We're not talking about the stuff on the arch that was by chain. We're talking about by Trisha. Okay? My taima, lo yivater davar amar Hashem. Nothing will be left. Ein davar, ein davar, and what does davar mean? Elashad dibrot l'tocho, the davar, the dibor, the dibrot, the aser had dibrot. So the things that had the aser had dibrot, that won't be left behind. Even that is taken into exile. The chaynu omer, and obviously not taken in return, taken and left. It was taken. It was seized by the Babylonians. The chaynu omer, and similarly it says, uluchuvot hashanah shalach hamelch nivuchanetzav yivieu bavela. And at the end of the year, the, uh, the king of Nuhanet sent, and he brought the king of Israel to Babel, in clay chandat beit Hashem, with the vessels of the, the desirous vessels of the house of, the, of, of the house of God. What is the vessels that are desirous of the house of the Lord? What's the most desirous vessel? The Aaron. It's the Aaron. So you see, according to this, the Aaron was taken with all the rest of the vessels into Batel. The Shimon against the Mishnah. That's the right one. Okay. No, it was hidden in its place, meaning under the Kachay Kadashim. Okay, that's where it was put away. that's where it was hidden. Um Hadahu Dikhsiv, that's what's meant by the verse. By Abadim, by Abadim, Kodesh, Achutza. Now what does that have to say? It says that the posts, you know, um, of the Aron extended to the face of uh, you know, by the face of the Devir, the Devir is the Kodesh Kadashim, and they cannot be seen outside. Dikhsiv, and the verse says uh, okay, Now, what does that, how does that prove it? Because the end of the passage is, I think it's quoted here in the past. 
No, somebody quotes it. The Korban Eidah says, the end of the Pasuk is, oh, below you, by you sham al hayom hazeh, is the end of the Pasuk. And it was there until this very day. Now, obviously, the simple sense is until this very day that the Pasuk was being written in Malachim, which was when there was still yeah. a base of Mikdash Arishon, but they're reading Ara Yom Hazem means up until whenever you're going to read this Pasuk, up until today, that's where the Aaron is. So if the Aaron is anywhere, it's buried under the Kaddish Kaddashim. That's that proof. Okay? Now, since we quoted this Pasuk, you knew. Since we quoted this Pasuk, the beginning of the Pasuk says that it's um, the Yerau, they were seen, and then it says Velo Yerau HaChutza, they weren't seen. So how do you how do you reconcile it? So now we're going to have a little digression and talk about that. Ksivayerau, they were seen. The uh, Atamart of Velo Yerau. So how does the end of the verse say they weren't seen? Ela Nirin Velo Nirin, they were seen, but they weren't fully seen. Botin Viotin Kishnei Zadei Haisha, they were protruding like a woman's breast which means that they were pointing into the uh, curtain that separated it, the parochet, thank you, but you didn't actually see the badim, but you could see their form because of the way they protrude. Um, um, that, in general, picks up on other type of sexual and erotic imagery that sometimes you have in relationship to the Aron, or you know, and the crew, yeah. or nurturing, that's true, but it's also, there's also a, a something that's also sort of erotic as well, you know, it speaks about the Kruvim, that they were intertwined like lovers, so you have that uh, theme here alluded to here. Um, okay, but that the reason for the pasuk quoting was the end of it, which is Ar Hayom Hazeh. Okay, so that's another opinion. Rabbanan on me and the rabbis say, and this is the position in the Mishnah, the Vishkati Yoraitim Hayaharon Ganus. No, it was hidden underneath in the in the room where they kept the wood. Any particular reason for that? No, that's just a tradition. Um, no, no, no verses quoted. Okay, Amasib Kohen Echad. There's a story with one Kohen Balmum. He was he had a blemish, so they couldn't actually have him do the avoda. So you know they put him to work in something that was not the avoda. He was given the job of peeling the wood, the bark off of the woods, you know, and cleaning the wood in the, uh, in the room where they kept the wood. It's like peeling potatoes, right? So no, nobody, loved, nobody enjoys that job, but that was his job. He had a moon. He couldn't do the avoda. And so he's spending a lot of time there. And he saw the floor. In one place it was a little different than where it looked elsewhere. He went and he told his friend, Come and look, this section of wood looks different than the other section. So he didn't finish it, he didn't actually get to show him where it was that, where, you know, where the floor looked different. He dropped that. He dropped it. What? Yeah, now they can, like, you wonder, like, now they can still find it out, they just inspect. But you know, it's like one of those secrets where somebody finds the hidden passageway that nobody's ever found in many, many years. So somehow, I don't know, you had to do something, to it. I noticed, maybe you had to look very, very closely to see the subtle changes. So you do be yichud, and they knew with certainty, Shisham Harun Ganuz, which is basically the story in our Mishnah. What? And where can the Bamum right. not go? What? Where can the Bamum not go? Um, um, that's the whole issue. That's like in places in the Azara, maybe, but this was not the Azara at all. Okay, Tani, we talked to Bryce Rebbe Yoshea. He could show that the now. They bangs on, now here's a sort of like uh, Michael suggestion. Well, look, if you know it's under the Deir uh, Ha'itzim, why don't you just uh, try to, um, why don't you just try to dig up the floor of the Deir Ha'itzim, and then you can discover where the urine is. So he says, okay, he has a bright, which is Hiki Shalev Kornis, they banged on the floor with like a... Well, Hiki means uh, him, is it that guy that did it? Uh, no, but it means someone, I don't think it means him particular. <coughs> anyway, with uh, our Kornis is like a, like, what, what are those big things you do to break uh, ground? What are those called? Like a, uh, not a hammer. hammer? Yeah, no. not a jackhammer. Like, anyway, whatever. Sledgehammer, that was I think about. Anyway, some type of a hammer. What? Pickaxe. Pickaxe. 
Okay, is that how they translate it? Or no, that's, no, pickaxe would work, yeah. I think cornice is a little bit more like a big hammer, whatever it is. Anyway, they banged on this. Maybe they found, the, maybe I, I said he didn't get to say where it was. Maybe he did say where it was. Maybe, anyway, but whatever. Even, as long as they knew it was in the DR8 scene, they started banging around and trying to dig it up. The Yatsa H was Saharto. Oh, so maybe Michael is right. Maybe it's the same guy that's giving a different version of how he died. Yeah, you could be right. I thought it meant other people, but you could be right. Anyway, so he tried to dig up that place and a fire came out. It's like straight out of Indiana Jones, right in the Temple of Doom. <laughs> so they're trying to find the lost ark. Oh my God, it's got all these buoy traps. Okay, so anyway. So, so they hit it on the floor and a fire came out and burned him. Tani Rebbe Yehuda, Ben Lucky. Tani, so we tell him right to Rebbe Yehuda, Ben Lucky, Omar, funny that this is a brighter that has Rebuta been lucky anyway I don't know anyway um, there were two Aronot that went with them in the, in the desert in the wilderness one that they put the Torah interesting version of the Torah means the Luchot and a different one that they kept the Shivrei Luchot now why is he saying that because he's trying to reconcile a contradiction in Psukim by the way, it's also difficult because what did they do with the Shivrei Luchot right, while they were waiting to build the Mishkan, right? And so there, if you read the Psukim closely, you will see there is a little confusion of exactly when was the Aron, was there one Aron, was there two Aron? So he says, this is not, uh, you know, this actually, there's a reason in the Psukim for this, to make this assertion. And that there were two Aron, one with the Luchot and one with the Shivrei Luchot. Um, the one with the Luchot was in the Oromoe. Remember when they went to war and they said after the Miraglim, it says the Aron and Moshe did not move from the camp. They stayed in the camp. Okay? Which means it stayed in the Oromoe. We'll see why that's said in contrast to the next line. Um, um, the one with the broken Luchot, that would come and go without, with that meaning when they would travel and also with for war and sometimes it would be seen with them like basically um, you know when they were when they were out for war and we'll see why because the Pusik says um, some actually quote the Pusik I don't see it here anyway which is what is the Pusik Kumash there's another Pusik which says um the Aron Brit Hashem no say alis nehem atur lahem minucha. But the Aron went in front of them. So what's the story? Did the Aron go in front of them, or was it carried with with benekahat? And did it stay in the camp, or did it walk, go in the middle of the machaner? Right, like it sounds like. So he says no. The one with the shirei luchot that went in front of them atur lahem minucha, and that was the one that they took out with them to war. And that's why when they went to war, you know, when they tried to go into the land after, um, you know, at, you know, after the miraglim, it says Moshe Aron Brit Hashem lo mashum mitzvah machaner. So anyway, so there's one that went out with them to war, and there's one that stayed, you know, in the in the mikdash and traveled in the center of the camps. Okay, so he says that there were two. Um, now, Rabbanami and the rabbis say Aaron. Right, so some have that girsa that actually quotes the pasuk Aaron Brit Hashem. I think that's the Graz girsa. Hold on, oh, let me take a look here at the Gimel. Um, um, okay, no, it's something else. Anyway, some quote the Pasuk of Aram Brit Hashem no Se'ali Sneham, which would very much fit in here. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. 
Rabbananami Aron Echad Hayad. There was only one Aron. Pam Achas Yatsavi Me Eli. There only once did he go out with them to war at the time of Eli. Vinishba. And he was taken captive. That was an exception. That was not the rule. Okay? So we know they did take it out to war at the time of Eli and it was taken captive by the Plishtim. And the question is, does that demonstrate what they usually did or was that an exception? And the rabbis say that was an exception. Kriya Misayaya Lulurabanan. A Pasuk supports the rabbis. Oilanu, me, when they, when it was taken out at the time of Eli, what did the police say? They said, Oilanu, me, Atileni, who will save us from the hands of this great God? So it sounds like it was an astonishing thing that the Aaron was being brought out. Milo de Lochamin Minyamoyin. It's a thing that they had never seen in their days, the Aaron being brought out. Because of being punished, what do you mean? Because like with the Dagon and all that. No, 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 that was afterwards. No, I think that I think that they're saying that this when they saw the Aron initially, this was their response. You can check the puzzle, okay? Mm-hmm. So it seems like they, they had never that they had never had this happen to them before that the Aron was brought out, and as soon as they saw it, they all of a sudden were struck with fear. They're terrified. Terrified, right? So that shows that it was an exception. A puzzle supports Rabbi Yehuda that it was a regular thing. Rabbi Yehuda ben Lachish, So he shows that to Achia, Hagisha Ron Heluhim, bring forth the Aron of God. What do you mean? The Aron was in Kiryat Yarim. It was that's where the Pasuk says it had been until that time. Ma, uh, so, 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 what was, what, why did, why was Shaul assuming that the Aron was there? Must be that the Aron, there was a separate Aron that went with them to war. <laughs> so how did the rabbis explain this Pasuk of Higisha Eli? Hatzitz. That's not really the Aron, it's the Tzitz. Not exactly clear why the tzitz is called the aron. I mean, but the same certain idea that somehow it carries God's word with it. Well, you know, the tzitz is a form of. I have no idea. The mafarshim say maybe it means just a box that had in it the uh, you know the vessels of God, but it's a very hard read. I have no idea. I mean, maybe it's functioned similarly in that it somehow carries the word of God in it, but how it's referred to aron, I have no idea. Anyway, so that's obviously a challenging pasuk. Another pasuk supports Rabbi Ben Lakish that there were two Aronot. What does Uriah um, say when David tells him go back and sleep with your wife? He says, "How can I go back and sleep with my wife? The Aron and Israel and Yehuda—they're all in their tents out there in the battlefield." So it sounds like where's the Aron with them on the battlefield, right? He says, "Aron, Israel, Yehuda, Yoshim, Basukot." So he says, The Aaron was in Zion. That's where, I mean, they didn't have a base of Mikdash yet, but that's where it had been moved. So, ma, so what does he mean? It's out there in a tent. So, Ma Rabbanan. how do the rabbis explain this? So it means, It doesn't mean Sukkot. It means that it's in a, it, it, it means that it, it's not like in a tent out on the battlefield. Yes, it's whatever housing it is in, in Yerushalayim, but it's not in a permanent house. It ha- we don't have a base on Mikdash yet. So he called it Sukkot to refer to like an impermanent place, not to literally mean that it's out there in a tent on the battlefield. Okay? Yes, I know, which is why it was a good proof for Rem Yudah. Okay, but yes, the simple sense is they're all out there on the battlefield, but he reads, no, 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 you know, Yisrael's on the battlefield, the Aron is in an impermanent house, I'm supposed to go sleep with my wife. Okay, so anyway, there's nice psukim that support at least in Nach, if not so clearly in the Torah, that support this idea that there might have been a separate Aron that they took with them to war. Now, so that was an interesting discussion about was there one or two Aronot. Now, now we're going to talk about the fact that it was hidden. We've seen this discussion, where was it hidden? Or maybe it wasn't hidden at all, maybe it was taken into Bavel. 
from the time that it was hidden, Nignas Imot in Tsena Taman, the, um, you know, sort of the container of the man, right, because it says, Kach Tsena Sachav, Anachos Aron, right, Lenishmeret, right? So you take a container of man and it was kept there for a safekeeping or for a, uh, or for a, mem- or for a memorial. So if that was emo, if that was, you know, you know, that's placed with the Aron, the assumption is whatever happened with the Aron happened to the man. So, Bitzluchit Shemen HaMishcha, and the Shemen HaMishcha that they used to anoint, we're going to have a discussion about the Shemen HaMishcha, right, that they used to anoint, that also was with the Aron, because it says, by the Shemen HaMishcha, it says, Shemen HaMishcha's Kodesh Yezeh Li Lidorosechem, and by the Shemen HaMishcha, it says, Lenishmeres Lidorosechem. So they make a connection between the two that both of them were, were somehow kept together and kept with the Aron and therefore the assumption is that when the Aron was buried or hidden these were hidden with it. Umaklu shel Aron Okay, and the staff of Aron and its uh, blossomings and its uh, almonds Assuming, presumably wherever the staff went they went the blossoms <laughs> and the almonds. Okay, but anyway but they say by the staff of Aron as well the Pesach says you know, put it you know, lisnei ha'idut. Okay, mishmeret. Right. So again, so again, the assumption is it's with your own, and it is and it is there as a mishmeret, and whatever happens to it happens to the to the own happens to it. Okay, li mishmeret la'ot li So again, everything here is li mishmeret. So to be a mishmeret, it has to be around forever. So it's hidden as well. Okay, and not only that, the argos sheishivu plishim asham lelohei Yisrael. And when the Plishim, at the end of the story we quoted before, took the Aron, and then all these, this plague happened to them, and then they returned the Aron, they returned it with a, you know, with a, with a, with a, with a box filled with a gift. And it says by that box, it says, what does it say by the box? Uh, there's a post that says, oh, Tasimu Bargaz Mitzido. So when they return it, it say, they say, put this in the box next to the Aron. So it's quite interesting. Since the police can say next to the Aron, the assumption is it always remains next to the Aron. It's getting pretty crowded there in the Kodesh Kodesh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, now, me Gunzo. Now we get back to it being hidden. Who hid it? Yoshio Gunzo. Now, not only where it was hidden, but wherever it was hidden, assuming it was hidden, who did it? So it was Yoshiahu, towards the end of Malchus Yisrael, but not at the very end. But he already had enough of a sense of what was, com- what was, what was coming up. Kivun Shalash Kasuv, he saw the verse said, Yolecha Shemoshavis Malkasha Takimalecha, Goya Shelo Yadasa Tavosecha, the verse prophesying the exile, God will take you and your king to a nation that you, had, you did not know. Amar Vignazo, he went and he hid it. He sort of saw the writing on the wall. Hadaud Dixiv, that was Daniel actually. Hadaud that's what meant by the Pasuk. He said to the Levites, Put the Aaron in the house that David built. You no longer will carry it on the shoulder. So what does that mean? They haven't been carrying it on the shoulder for centuries. Right? Why? What does he mean? Put it in the, in, in the bias. So on the left, this is what he means. He basically means hide it under the bias. That's how we're reading it. In Gola hu imachem lebavel, if this would be exiled with you to Babel, einate machzino so odin kamo, you will no longer have an opportunity to bring it back. So einachem masavakatev did not just refer to the biblical period when they would carry it on the shoulder, but he meant this is no longer going to be transported back. You won't have an opportunity to transport it back. So you better hide it now underneath the Beit Hamikdash. So we don't lose it when the eventual exile comes. Now serve Hashem your God and his nation and his nation so Israel. Come on, that's that positive the truth. What? No, they he doesn't buy it. They don't believe the whole thing. What do you mean? It's just the rabbinic of midrash read into the psukim. Okay, this assumes that it was hidden. Okay. Now, now, since we mentioned the Shemana Mishcha, 
we're going to have a nice little digression to talk about the Shemana Mishcha. So let's take a look. Pitum Shemana Mishcha. Now, the making of the Shemana Mishcha, it says, Vatar Kachlecha, the take for you, you know, the Samim Rosh, Marj Wurch, Mesh Meos, Kim Mombetem, Machatiso, Hamishim Masayim, Ksen Bosem, Hamishim Masayim, the Kidah, Hamesh Meos, um, what is it? Hamesh Meos, Peshek, Alkodesh, Peshem, and Zayishim. So if you add up all of the various fragrances that were mentioned, Shein Elif, Hamesh Manim, it's, 1,500 is just adding up the things mentioned in the Pasuk, Maneh, which is like a significant measure of these fragrances. All of these, like, you know, whatever, huge amount of fragrances right in the Pasuk with a hin, 12 log of oil, olive oil. You know how much 12 log of olive oil is? A revius is 3 ounces, so a log is about 12 or 14 ounces. So 12, 12, so 12, 12 log is 144, whatever, 28, 168 ounces something, right? How big gallon is it? And a half. Gallon and a half, right? That gallon amount of olive oil for 1,500 mané, I don't know exactly how much mané is, but it's not insignificant, of these fragrances, okay? So how exactly does that work? So that's what we're going to discuss. All of this is because we mentioned the Shemana Mishcha, okay? So let's take a look. Shemen Zayishim, Shnei Log, that was 12 Log, Ha'ishabosh Shokin Esa Ikarim. What you would do with it is you would use it to, um, to like, um, uh, uh, um, uh, boil in it the, the, uh, the Ikarim, the roots of the fragrances. Amdive Rebbe Meir, that's what Rebbe Meir would say. Rebbe said, Rebbe Yehuda Meir, Rebbe Yehuda said, Shokin Ha'ishabosh no, 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 no. First you would boil them in water to get them to absorb as much liquid as they could because if they start if they haven't already absorbed liquid then the oil gets absorbed into these uh, you know into these fragrances and nothing will come out um, then after they have fully absorbed then you put the oil, oil on top of it and it won't get absorbed into the fragrances and those have been fully you know suffused with water and what will happen is the, the smell of the fragrances will transfer to the oil then after the oil got, uh, absorbed the uh, fragrance, then they would remove it from on top of, the, of these, uh, of these uh, you know, herbs and these fragrances, and then they would have it, and it would have absorbed their smell. And this is the way that uh, people that make fragrance, the perfumers do. That's what's meant by the verse. Now, what exactly he gets from that verse, that Shemen Mishchas Kodesh, is not exactly clear to me. We'll see. Um, let me just see if it says anything here. Um, no, the Mepharshim don't say exactly what they mean to prove by that Pasuk. Okay, Tani Rebbe Yehuda Bey Rebbe Eli. Shemen Mishchas Shasam Moshe B'midbar, Masa Nishi Nasubo. This Shemen Mishchas that Moshe made in the wilderness, it was miracles after miracles. From the beginning to the end. It started with 12 logs. Okay, 12, so that we said, is 12 logs. Just to try to like, use it to like, you know, to, to, to anoint the, uh, the fragrances. Just to smear on the fragrances, there's not enough. 12 hin for that amount of fragrances. How much more so, what's going to happen? If you put it over fire, the fire is going to absorb it, meaning cause it to, um, you know, um, uh, evaporate. The woods, meaning, you know, the fragrances themselves will absorb the liquid. And some will get absorbed by the pot. And so, number one, think how much you went down from your original 12 heme just in the process of making it. Number two, what did you do with the oil? Use it to anoint the mishkan. 
Vikokelav, all the vessels, Hashulchan Vikokelav, a menorah Vikokelav, all the vessels, all the, all the attendant vessels, the kol, umimenu nimshichu Aaron, kohen gadol, and then you'd use it to anoint Aaron, ubanav, and the sons, kol shivus yomia miluim, and you did this every day of the seven days of the miluim, so umimenu nimshichu kohen gadolim umlachim, and in the, and from the future you would use it for future kohen gadols and kings, actually we'll see about kohen gadols, Okay, and so think about the miracle about this that you it had only twelve yin and it was able to do all of this. Not only that, but the other point that's sort of being alluded to is, and that might have been why I quoted the pasuk by Shemun Mishchash Kodesh Yezeh Lilodoratechem. That the drasha is that um, Zeh in Gematria is twelve. So there's a famous midrash which is Zeh the twelve the twelve log is Lodoratechem that it always remains twelve log. You started with 12 log, and it will always remain 12 log in the whole process, and then you did all this stuff, and not only did it still last, but it was something glass, but the full amount was still left. It was like the Nase Hanukkah every single time. Okay, so the full amount of oil was always left afterwards. Um, so that's miracles from the very beginning to the end. And now we're going to discuss what it was used for in the future after the initial anointing. Okay? Um, okay. Uh, when somebody initially becomes king, meaning basically David, required Meshicha. But the son of a king does not. But if you have, like, you know, for were you to have a, we'll see, somebody who is not, yeah, a revolution, but we'll see about that in a minute. But if it's not from Malchi based on it. Well, that's true. Shaul also, thank you. Pre David as well. So Shaul and David. My time. Get up and anoint him, says by David, says this is the one. Um, only he, not his son. But the son of a gadol, a few even ten generations, will be. Because the basic difference is the following. The kingship is considered to be a hereditary position. Whereas Kohen Gadol is not fundamentally hereditary. It does Kohen say that, well, Kohen is, but Kohen Gadol is not. It is true that there's a statement in Arios that the son gets preference. Like all of the things being equal, you would prefer to do it as the son of a Kohen Gadol. But having some preference does not mean that fundamentally it's a hereditary position. So therefore, each Kohen Gadol, even the son, has to be newly invested into that, st- into that status. Whereas a king is fundamentally hereditary, you don't need a new act of investing him. He naturally gets it from the father. Now the question is, what happens if there are multiple children and there's a question who the heir is? We'll see. But that's, well, right, exactly. But that's the reason why there is this, the Kohen Gadol, son of a Kohen Gadol does not, but uh, does, but a king, the son of a king does not. Okay? A few Arasarad Dorot to even if the Kohen Gadol has been handed down ten generations, so it's been practiced as a hereditary position, but in principle, it is not a hereditary position, and therefore, every time it requires Mishicha. Vikulo Kayam Lakid Lavo, and oh, so I jumped ahead. This is what it says. So think about all of the gener- all of the ways it was used, all of the amount that should have evaporated in the process, how many different vessels and things it was used for, and at the end, it will still be the full amount through the future. That's what meant by the Pasuk. So either the Drasha Sam Ludorotechem, it'll always be the same amount, but there's also a Drasha that emphasizes the Zez Gamatias 12 as another way of emphasizing the miracle that it will always remain the full amount. Okay, now we're talking about using it for kings, so now we're going to talk about kings. Let's take a look. Anointing kings. 
When you anoint kings, which as we now know is not going to be too often, because you only do it at the beginning of a of a kingship, of like a of a line, um, you do it by a by a flowing water, by a wellspring. Because that's what we get by Shlomo. We hear Kapsemet Shlomo Bini Al Apirda. Put him on the on the donkey. Ashalivo Radetemoto Al Gichon. Bring him down to the Gichon Valley. Umashachato Sham Sadok Kohen Vinasan Hanavi LeMelech Yisrael. And Sadok the Kohen and Nosan the Prophet will anoint him as a king. Now, why did they anoint him? He was the son of a king. So let's take anyway. But there it was on the wellspring, and we see that that somehow is a, is indicative of how it always should be. And the idea is, you know, as as explained in Bavli, that obviously symbolic that the flowing of the water, that his kingship should flow, it should be nurturing, it should give life, and so on. Um, the only time you would do the king, the son of a king, is if there is a debate which is the heir. So why was Shlomo anointed? Because Adoniyahu was competing for the kingship. Yoash, why was Yoash anointed? Now everybody can test their Tanakh if they know any of this. Okay, Yehoachaz, I won't tell you how I get up there. Yehoachaz, Yehoachaz was anointed because Yehoachim was competing for it. Achiv, his brother, which is two years older than him. Yehu Yoram, Yehu was anointed because of Yoram. Okay. So now the Gemara has a question. So that was the that was the brayta. Okay. So when we do the king, the son of a king, only when there's a debate. But now the Gemara's got another question. How did we have this last listing of Yehu mitnei Yoram? That was Malchi Israel. And the Gemara is now going to say that we would only anoint Malchi Beisavi, Malchi Yehuda. Okay. Now we haven't said it yet, but now we're going to assert that. One minute. Lo king Steve doesn't verse not say Kumashchayu Kizehu. This one, not just this one, because he's the first, which is what we said before, but this one, because he's from Malchi Yisrael, Malchi Yehuda, the ain Malchi Yisrael to Unim but not Malchi Yisrael. So why did you mention this Yehu and Yoram thing? Ella fine, Yorachazik ne Yehoyaki Machiv Shayagadim Period. Meaning, cut off the last words. You're, you're right. We shouldn't have mentioned the issue of the competition of Yehu and Yoram. That was not really a Mishichah done with the Shemna Mishcha because that was Malchi Yisrael. So cut those words out of the Brayta. Okay, <laughs> fine. Now the Gemara says, "One minute, I got another question." Um, and this explains this last question is going to explain why we went to this whole big digression about Shemana Mishcha in this conversation about ha- hiding the Aron because here's our question now so the Gemara says like this the lo Yoshio Gunzo one minute didn't you tell me at the beginning of the Das that Yoshio hid the Shemana Mishcha with the Aron he, if Yoshio hid the Aron he hid the Shemana Mishcha mm-hmm. but one minute but this, is, but this here thing about uh, what do you call it uh, about uh, new no, about um, Yehoiakim and Yehoachaz was after Yoshio, so that doesn't work. So this whole discussion of the Shemana Mishcha might have been to get to this question: How could Yoshio have hid the Aaron and hid the Shemana Mishcha? Now we're saying that it was used for Yehoiakim and Yehoachaz. So the Gemara says, "Hello, Yoshio, Gunzo, didn't Yoshio do it? Hide it." So you know what? Hada'ama, you're right. You're right. So the Yoakim and Yoachaz was not with the Shemana Mishcha. That was just with aromatic oil. They did not do it with the real Shemana Mishcha. And some of them Mepharshim say, and now we don't have to edit out the last part of the Brayta about uh, Yehu either, because that could be referring to to aromatic oil. So meaning you could maintain the idea of doing an anointing of kings even without the Shemana Mishcha when you don't have it and that would then give us the latitude to do it for Malcha Yisrael as well. Okay, but even then we would only do it 
when there was some issue of debate and uncertainty about who was going to inherit it or else we wouldn't do it because you want to you know, in a way you don't want to undermine the sense of it as a hereditary position so you don't need to reaffirm it it would in a way weaken it to reaffirm it when it's not necessary but you would do something when there was a debate and if there was no Shev Mishka, you'd use this you know, you just use aromatic oil. Okay? So now that we're talking about the Shemna Mishra, you use it for Kohen Gadol, you don't use it for kings unless you have to. Now we're going to have a little bit more about the Shemna Hamishra. So let's take a look. When you anoint kings, you do it from a horn. Again, again the same way of like a cornucopia, right? In the sense of plenty, or maybe a sense of also proclamation and announcement. Okay. Shaul Nimshach Minapach. Shol and Yale that were anointed from a simple, like, just a uh, pitcher, Malchus Overeth. Theirs was only a temporary, uh, uh, an ephemeral kingship. David and They were anointed from a horn, Malchus and Malchus Kayemeth, and it lasted. That's okay. the shot of Matzmiach Keren Yeshua. Thank you very much. Yeah, right. That, uh, right. It's just connected to the saving power of, of the sovereign. Right. Thank you very much. Matzmiach Keren Yeshua. Yes, very much. That symbolism. Now, you don't make Kohanim into kings. Now, why not? So, well, first of all, the thing to, of course, appreciate is the whole aspect of the, of the Chashmonatim. So it's not actually saying that you don't allow Kohanim to serve as kings, although we sort of will say that in a minute. Right now it's focusing the issue on the issue of Mishicha. And that might be the assumption that Mishicha is the same way it's limited to Malchai Yehuda, is limited to Malchai Beit David. Then it's not really a problem about the Kohanim. Then really it's a problem about anybody who's not Malchai Beit David. Okay, but obviously there's a different, a unique problem about the Kohanim, which is the joining of the religious and the political leadership, which can be very dangerous as uh, whatever we have some indication nowadays so um, you do not make you don't you, you do not uh, anoint them as, uh, as kings I'm a Rebbe Yuda Antun Daraya interesting name Al-Shem Lo Yasser Shevet Mihuda. the kingship shall never turn away from Yehuda so that it cannot be by any other tribe um, again since we're since we're now Rosh Chodesh Kislev we're in the period of Hanukkah um, I should mention that the Ramban says that if you notice it no, there, are, there is no Mishnah that talks about the mitzvah of Hanukkah, that talks about the Chag of Hanukkah. It's mentioned in one Mishnah in passing in Baba Kama that talks about if a guy has his donkey or whatever, you know, his camel carrying flax and it passes by somebody else's store that has a light and, the, and it lights the flax, who's liable? And it says, well, if it was a Hanukkah lamp, then the store owner isn't liable because he should have had it out there. That is the one place Hanukkah is mentioned in the Mishnah. So he says, what's going on? Like we have a whole Maseches Purim, a whole Maseches Megillah on Purim, why don't we have anything on Hanukkah? So he says, you know, it's a time we're upset at the Hashmonayim because they, they shouldn't have made themselves into king. And especially if you see that Reb Yehuda Hanasi saw himself as being a descendant of, of David HaMelech. So he said that that's why they were sort of given the silent treatment in the Mishnah. He said the Chazal were not happy with the way the Hashmonayim chose to take upon themselves the kingship. All right. So here it's saying this, uh, alluding to a similar type of a theme, Lo Yasser Shevet Mi'udah. Um, anyway, the Ramban says it on his commentary on the Pasuk of Lo Yasser Shevet Miuda. Okay, Amar Ba'ada. Here's another verse that's specific about the Kohanim. When it speaks about the king, it says, you know, this is what he should do. He should have the Sefer Torah, that his kingship should extend, he and his children. And what does the next Pasuk say right afterwards? 
Now the end of it is Koshevet Levi Chelak Venachalai Mechav, right? But the point is juxtaposed to kingship is not for the Kohanim. Lo Yekarim. So if you read them as one sentence, this idea of kingship is not for the Kohanim, which is specifically pointed, I would say, about the danger of combining religious leadership <laughs> with political leadership. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Who um, Yochanan? Who Yoachaz? The same person in the verse that's Yochanan is the pasuk that is Yoachaz. Because there's a problem here about the Psukim, because one Pasuk says, yeah, I gotta go remind myself. In Divya Yamim it says the sons of Yoshiao Hapakor Yochanan. Um, and in uh da, 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 da. and in Malachim it says that his son was Yehoachaz. So he says it's exact it's he's the same person. So it says the Bechor is Yochanan and Yehoachaz was not the Bechor. So it says, okay, Bechor Lamalchuto. It means that he was the first one to be the king. That's what we referred before to, right? Yehoachaz Nipnei. Yehoachaz had the competition with who was it? Was, uh, I forget now. Oh, Yehoiakim. Okay, so yes, yeah, so, so he was, uh, so, um, so Yochanan, so Yochanan slash Yochaz was the first to get the Malchus, but he was not the firstborn. And that's why they needed, that's why it says that Yoyakim was two years older and he needed to do the anointing in order to make him the king first. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Who's Shalom? Who's The say again, if you look at the list of the names of the sons of Yoshio, there's also this question of who is Tzitzkiyahu. You know, one was has Tzitzkiyahu, one was has Shalom. It says it's the same person. One minute, but one person says the third son was Tzitzkiyahu and the fourth was Shalom. So obviously it's not the same person. No, Gimel told those he was the third in the line of birth, Arba Lamalchus, but the fourth who got the kingship of the sons of Yoshiahu. So what was the name Tzitzkiyahu? That he justified himself the divine, ju- the divine justice. Now, what does that mean? The tzidik alav. So, does it mean on himself? So, you could say it means that when he went into exile, I think the simple sense of it means that when he was taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar, he basically said, he basically acknowledged that it was just and that God had acted properly. Not like it's based on any puzzle that says that, but he accepted the judgment of God. Some of the fortune want to say, based on a Bavli, that say, um, that say that the reason that Nebuchadnezzar calls him Sitkiyahu was he basically said to him, God will take exact punishment from you if you rebel against me. So someone writes that, that basically Nebuchadnezzar gave him that name to say, you'd better keep you know, your, your faith in me and not rebel against me. And then, of course, he rebelled against him. So, um, so what they want to say that Sidiq Allah means that Nebuchadnezzar you know, just said that God would take justice, exact justice against Sitkiyo if he would rebel. I don't think that's Pshadi. I think Pshadi means that Sitkiyo accepted the justice of God at the time of exile. Who, whose eyes were put out? Yeah, it was Sitkiyo. Yeah, yeah, so I think it means that he accepted the justice of what God did. Yeah. Shalom, so Yomar says, now what's the name of Shalom? Shabiyamav Shalma Malchut Beit David. Of course, Shalom is a pretty ironic name, so it reads it as a sense of completion. In his days, the kingship of David came to an end. Lo Shalom Havishmei. Now, or something which Lucky says, you know, Shalom was not his original name. Below Tzitkiyahu Hayishmei. Ella Matanya. His name was Matanya. How do you know? Because it's a pasuk. Hadol Tzitkiyahu Vayimloch Melech Bavel Es Matanya Dodo Tachtav Vayasevet Shmo Tzitkiyahu. So the Shalom is a pasuk. It says that he gave Matanya the king, and he switched his name to be Tzitkiyahu. Okay, so there you have it. I don't really know yeah. what you do. I have no idea. Which is why maybe they take out the Rish Lucky Shamar and make it that everybody is agreeing to that. Yes. The rabbis of the uh, Yerushalmi learned not. Yes, of the Bible too. <laughs> All right. 
I'm Rav Now, that was a whole little digression about the Shemana Mishcha, which is hidden with the Aron. But now we're back to the Aron. I'm Rav Yochanan. And we're going to talk about what, what was stored in the Aron. Before we had a discussion of whether Shivei Luchot in a different Aron, this one will assume that there were not Shivei Luchot, but it will assume that there's a Sefer Torah. Because what does it say at the end of Zvarim, right? It says, Moshe takes the Sefer Torah and says, Mitzad Aron B'rit Hashem. So what does Mitzad mean? Does it mean inside the Aron on the side? Does it mean outside the Aron on the side? So let's take a look. And we'll discuss the dimensions of the Aron. Who, the way, by the way, remembers what are the dimensions of the Aron? Right? Lama Bachiti Rakbo. Right? So two and a half Amma. Okay, we'll discuss how much amount it is. By one and a half Amma Rakbo. We don't have to worry about the height now, we're just gonna deal with the width. Okay, what's the area? Okay, so <coughs> that's the arrow. Now, let's take a look. Um Okay, where are we? Um I'm gonna, okay, um it was made with an Amma measured of six Trachim, which is a normal Amma. You might remember that there's a debate when in the base of Mikdash was the Amma five Trachim or six Trachim. Mantana the Amma Shoshishat Trachim, Rabbi Meir, he. So that's Rabbi Meir's position. It's not. The Meir, Omer, Kolamot, Hayu, Beinoniyot. All of the Amma they used in the base of Mikdash were average, six Trachim ones. Rabbi Yudo, Omer, Amot, Habinyan, Shisha. No, when they, when they measured the Amma for the actual structure itself, it was a six Tefach Amma. But Amas that are referred to in terms of the vessels, Chamisha, were five. So now we're going to figure it all out according to Rabbi Meir. Aldaisi to Rabbi Meir, according to Rabbi Meir, Duamar, it was made with a six tefach Amma because it was, that was a Kli. So Oriko Shel Aron, Tetvav Tvachim. So the width was 15. So two and a half times twelve is fifteen. And in case you can't do the math, uh, the Bavli will do the, the Bavli often does not do the math for you. The Yerushalmi here does. Amsa Ashisa, one Amma is six Tvachim. Amsa Ashisa, the next one is six. Upalus Amma, the half Amma, plus is three. So that's fifteen Tvachim. The Arba Luchot Hayubo. I'm sorry, I said before not the Shuras. I made a mistake. It does have the Shuras. And there are four of the Luchot, the two Shlemim and the two Shvurot. Hayubo. Shnaim Shlemim, Shnaim Shvurim. The two Shalem and the two Shavor. So not like the idea that the Shavor was in a different Aron. Here the Shavor was in this Aron. Tichsiv Asher Shibarta is Vesamtam Ba'aron. You know, so the, that you have broken and you shall place them in the Aron. So it says, as it understands that the Luchos, even the Luchos that you broke were, right, obviously the Pesach says you'll make new Luchos to replace the ones that you broke and put them, the new ones, in the Aron. But the way this is reading it is, Asher Shibarta Ba'aron. Even the ones you broke are in the Aron. Luchos Veshivei Luchos Munochin Ba'aron, as the Gemara says elsewhere. So that was on the Aron. So now, no, no, no. It denies that there was a separate Aron that went out to the Muhammad. This is the, that side of the debate. Now, Haluchos, how you call Echad Echad Erkov Vav Trachim the Rachlo Shisha. I have no idea why how this knows it, but it, assu- it, it, it takes as granted that they were square Luchot. So go tell uh, Cecil B. DeMille this. They were not rectangular. They certainly didn't have a nice curve and arch at the top. They were square Luchot, and they were six Trachim by six Trachim. Okay, So what would you do? So this was 15, and this was 9, okay? So if you had 6 by 6, right? So that's 6 here, and that's 6 here, and they assumed that they were stacked, I think, or they assumed maybe these were the two, and then the luchos, Shiva luchos were on top of it, but I'm assuming that they're assuming that it was stacked. So these were the two luchos, and these presumably, although they were broken, but they took up the same amount of space, were the Shivrei Luchot, okay? 
So you have six and six, twelve. You have three left here, and you have three left here of unused space. Okay, is that clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um... Okay. So now each wall takes up a half of a tefach. So there's two tefachim left, we're talking now in the length, for the Sefer Torah, which is in the Aram. Okay, so in these remaining three tefachim, it's really not three, it's really two, because the width here of the wall is a half and a half, so it's two. So in this two, you put also a Sefer Torah, which we're also going to say was six Tfachim, uh, was six Tfachim long, but two Tfachim wide, okay? And this would be your Sefer Torah, okay? So that was there right alongside, which was it's narrowing. It's really not so wide. What? A six Tfach Sefer Torah is not so crazy, right? I mean, you know, okay, it's, it's small, but it's not like one of those micro Sefer Torah okay? Right, so that's where they had the Sefer Torah. Okay, now. Roch Moshel Aron, now how about the width? Tishat Vachim, Dechsiv. Amma Vachetzi Rachvo, Amma and a half was its width. Amsa Ashisa, Palgaf Amma Plosa, so an Amma is six, a half an Amma is three. The Arba Luchot Hayubo, and there were the four Luchot, like we said. This is just going to be so repetitious here. Shnaim Shlemim Vashayim Shurim, Dechsiv Asher Shibarza, Vashamten Barau. Like it said the whole thing, but it's repeating it again. They were six by six. Now it's repeating it when it's talking about the width, exactly what it said by the length. Now width-wise, we have three tefachim left. Each wall took up a half tefach. And two tefachs are left for like, you know, a little breathing space, the access space. Because that's what the Sefer Torah was. So actually, you had two tefach here that is un, that nothing is in it. Now maybe you actually did it more logically. You probably moved it away. A on each side, right? So it's not so. It's, so, it's it a bit, so you can get it out. You get access and you get it out. And presumably they didn't want to get out the luchot, but they would sometimes want to take out the Sefer Torah. Okay. So this was totally tight. Six, six, and two was the sort of was the width. But there was a tefach on each side to allow some Wiggle type of it. access. Wiggle space. Never sure that they read on like. Uh, presumably not. That's on um, anyway. That comes up later. <laughs> it's right? not clear, yeah. right? Okay. So the okay. Lucha was going to be. The lucha were oh no. Because there four of them, right? Yeah, but I think it's assumed they were stacked. But it's actually oh. a good question. One gears they had shalosh and put in parentheses for shisha. Right. So if you had the gears for shlosha, then it would have actually been like this. If your gears was shlosha, that actually would be that that that, that, that is the basis of the gears of shlosha. With our gears of shisha, then they're square and they were stacked on top of one another. Okay. Have six on them. And when it six, if it's three, then it does have them as a more as we imagine them a more rectangular shape rather than a square. In the Jurassic tradition, it has them as square. A square, right? Okay. Square six on the six. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So okay, that's that. Um, okay. No, it was made with five tefach. So now, what, how does that translate? 
So it's, instead of two and a half times five gets you twelve and a half. Dechsiv amasayim bechetzi arko amsas chamisha amsas chamisha yisham is five. That's ten. Upalgos amas tre upalgi two and a half. So now we have twelve and a half. So now we've got to get twelve the luchot which are twelve wide into a twelve and a half. Doesn't give you too much space. Arba luchot hayubo shnayim shenim shnayim shurim two full two broken dechsiv asher shibarta v'samtem ba'aron. So that tells us the broken ones were there. Okay, but to God, they'll take up 12 wide, Fahim. Why their length by the length of the Aron? So you have a Chati According to this, instead of 15, we have 12. By the way, here instead of 5, 9, we're going to have 7.5. You have 6 and 6 for, for the. Um, no, you have 12.5. Yes, right, because two and a half times one. <coughs> so six and six for the Luchot, either again they're stacked on top of one another, or the gears is three and they're side by side, but either way, combined they're twelve, and the whole thing is twelve and a half. So what it's going to say is you have, the walls are like paper thin. The walls are <coughs> one etzpah. An etzpah is a quarter of a tefah, because you've got four. Okay, so you've got a quarter here for a wall, and a quarter here for a wall, and the whole thing is just barely fit. Okay? Is that clear? Six, and the walls are one extra wide, and the whole thing is your exact twelve and a half. Okay? So, yes, yeah, so what are you going to do with the Sefer Torah? Okay? Um, okay, so that's it. The exact twelve and a half, you just barely fit in the two sets of Luchos. It's with Shibat Fachim Seven and a half. So an am and a half. Amas amsas chamisha upalgus amas trey upalgi five and two and a half. The arba luchos hayubo. There are four luchos. Shem 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 shurim. The chiva shir shibarta of something be'arom. The luchos hayukolech lechadorchen shishat fachim. It was six rachlan shishat. It was six wide fachim. Tain rachvan the rachvan shall arom. So now the six goes against the six of a seven and a half. So what do you have? Mishay shem tefachu mechda. So now at least have a little breathing room. A tefach and a bit. Again, the walls are uniform size, so they're an expa that covers a half. So now you have left one tefach widthwise. A half of a tefach here and a half of a tefach there for space. So basically, you had this was twelve and a half, so this was six and six, and the walls made the half. This was seven and a half, this was six, so the walls here got you a half. So that got rid of, so now you have a whole tefach left, and that tefach, you had a half of a tefach here, and a half of a tefach here for some, like, a air circulation or well, something. Let me put them on then. Okay, well, that'll all be on the side. Okay, so according to this, you couldn't get the safer Torah in. Okay, Lishilut. Uh, where were we? Um, uh, okay, now. How did he do it? He made three separate boxes. He made them separately, independently. A box, three, two boxes of gold, one of wood. Nothing shall zahav, shall eight, shall eight, shall zahav. And then he sort of put the, you know, the gold into the wood, and the wood, and the wood and the gold into the gold. And then it became all, and, it, and through that it was covered with gold on the inside and the outside. It's a very bizarre way to plate something. But you and then he, you know, and then he sort of, and then he coated it. What's the extra verb titzapenu? Uh, so the that after you, you after you stack them or not stack them whatever insert them you know at the top you'll still see that they're separate 
So then you cover the, the top, you know, the top flat part of the top where they're all stacked together, you know, where they're all inserted, and the, anyway, it holds it together anyway, so you cover that with a plating of gold. Um, that's which is very strange, I don't know why he assumes that. Um Shamar, he gives a different explanation. Now he made it one box, he started with wood, but he pay you and then he and then he plated it, he coated it over with gold. Just leave the tibito's why do you need according to this the extra verse chitzapenu? He even did it between the planks, which I'm not exactly understanding. I guess it means that even if you made it out of wood and there was like some, um, I also, you know, when, when you assume that he made, that he made the Aaron out of wood, you assume that it means that there was planks that were put together. I assumed it meant one piece of wood that was carved out to be the Aaron. Anyway, he understands that there were somehow different planks, right? And maybe it's certainly between, when you go from like the wall to the, uh, you know, to the base or something. So you made sure, I guess, that the gold even went into the crevices there, uh, between the planks. If the Hafta then it means it really wasn't the Hafta or just wood. No, you're the pizza of the wooden one. It says Vasisa Aron, Asahi. No, you make it up eight. Everything was all, all one thing. Did you say that? Yeah, it was out of wood that was then coated with gold. Right. That's exactly what the book says. That means really the plating then. The plating is after, right, exactly, yeah. Okay. Beinesser, um, Beinesser. Okay. Chesed Hayu Luchos Ksuvin. Now, how are the Luchos written? Rabbi Hanania, Ben Gamliel, Omer Chamisha Luach, Zeb Chamisha Luach, Zeb. That makes sense. Five on each Luach. Like we, you know, the normal way we assume. By the way, the Torah never says five on each Luach. But, you know, the whole idea, Ben Adam Lamakam, Ben Adam Lachavera, we always assume that that's what it is. It's ten. They're divided equally. Okay. The Chamisha Luach, Zeb. Rabban and Amri, the Rabbi, that's what it meant by Yichtabim, Ashne Luchot Abanim. They were written on the two Luchot. So somehow the, the, you know, the fact that they're treated sort of all, you know, equal means an equal division. Um, the rabbis say, they were repeated. Ten on each luach. Each luach had all of the aserah that he broke. Who did see? Oh, that's interesting. I don't think so. Let's keep on reading. Let's keep on reading. I'll tell you that. Let's read a little and then we can talk about it. But I, that's an interesting suggestion that the, the, the Shmos and Varim see That's what's meant as He doesn't so here what he clearly means is the same ten were written on each luach front and back. Okay, not a different one. Okay, right. So because he basically says somehow he says means he wrote two of them and each two al shnei luchot avanim on all four sides of the luchot. Okay, tatroga, like a tetragon, like a four-sided, uh, like a square. It's a Greek word, tatroga, right? Tetra. So cube. But so basically, so here the what? 
You have to be, you should be like, we, next thing we should be saying is sex. But anyway, so here, this is why Dov, I didn't think it made a different version, because when it's talking here about 20 and 40, obviously it's talking about the same thing on all sides. I and I think, no, it could be, but I'm just saying, I don't think that's the sense here. And I think the sense here is like, you know, no matter what, it's, it's sort of like, no matter which way you look at it, it's always giving, it's like there's always the same message, you know? It's not like, you know, the Torah only speaks to you, but something, something of that sense, or like, you know, that looking at front, backwards, up and down, you always see the same truth. It, it okay. When you have a tree, we would have two stones, one for each point of the tree. Ah, okay. So that explains at least the 20 idea. That's a nice thought. He said, he said in ancient times when you'd have a treaty, each party would get a stone like like nowadays. Each, each party takes home a copy of the contract. So you have the same thing on each stone. But then, then it gets to 20 and 40 and so on. Okay. Hananya ben Achi Rabbi Yoshua Omer, they told Dibur Vidibur, now here's the fascinating idea, between each of the Aserites he wrote, Diktukeha Vyotioter Shel Torah was written all of the explications of that Dibur. So all of the, like, the Torah Shabbat about that Dibur was written in the air, in the, in the white space between the Dibur. I don't know if it was literally written or what he means. And he quotes the puzzle from Shir Shirim, Mimula'in Batarshish, filled with Tarshish, which is some type of a precious stone. Kiyama Rabba, like the big ocean, which is, an, uh, he understood is the name, Tarshish is the name of the big ocean. Now, where does he get that idea? So, rubber of Shimon Lakish, Kahavi Matia Din Kraya, when they would come to this Pasuk, Haviyamar Yafalin Deni Hananya ben Achibab Yoshua. He taught me well about what this Pasuk means. Mahayama Zeb in Gal Gadol, Gal Gadol, Galim Tanim, the same way in a big ocean, between every large wave, there are a lot of those like small little waves and ripples that occur between the large waves. Kachbin called Dibur the Dibur, between every one of the Dibros, Diktukav the Okiotah Shel Torah, or all of the little explications and, the, and you know, all the little waves. Now again, does it literally mean that they were written, or is this more meant like symbolically and metaphorically, like in that white space? Between the Dibors, all of the implications somehow were implicit. Is the source for the image or metaphor of the Yamashel Talmud? I was wondering about it's that. It's not easy to find. That, where I was that wondering about from. that. I was wondering about that. Let's just finish this, okay? I want to go to Kashi is Kumi Rebbe Pinchas. I passed the question from Rebbe Pinchas. Ask Rebbe Yehuda, but ask Rebbe Meir. So a proof that shows like Rebbe Yehuda that was five fucking per Amma, not like Rebbe Meir. My time is Rebbe Yehuda. What's the reason we are? We do it. See, Lakorach at Sefer Torah Hasev is something else. So Mitzvah Aron beats Hashem. So that takes this and put it by the side of the Aron, which meant that it was outside of the Aron. So I'll die to Rebbe Yehuda. Do Omer Heichan Hayasefer Torah Natun. So according to Rebbe Yehuda, where was um, the Sefer Torah placed? Kimin Gluskia Asuyelo Mibachut. They had some type of a box on the outside of the Aron, a tax on the outside. Would be put on site because we just heard according to him. There's no room for it inside the Aron. So Afsad means on the outside, presumably. My time is Rebbe Meir. Now, what's the reason of Rebbe Meir that says it was in the Aron? You put the kapores on the Aron. The Aron titain as ha'idut asher itain elecha. So and 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 to the Aron you will put the edut which I will give you. So now, what does that mean? That the Aron was already covered. You said you put the kaporet. So that seems to prove like Rabbi Yehuda. It seems to be that the that the that the he understands the edut here, meaning the um, the Sefer Torah, not the luchot. I would say the simple sense of the pasuk is the luchot. So it says according to Rabbi Yehuda, it makes sense. You cover it and you put the luchot on the on the like little box uh, attached to the side. But according to according to Rebbe, according to Rabbi Meir, what do you do? It's already covered. So it says. 
No, it's not in, in order. Meaning, cover it, but before you cover it, put the Sefer Torah inside. So though it says put a dude after, it really obviously would be put before you would cover it. Okay, last point. White fire written on... Now, it's, 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 there's two reads of this. Is it white fire written on black fire? Are the letters white? Or is it white fire written with black fire and, the, and the, the, the fire, the ink, as it were, is the black fire, which makes sense, right? Like black ink mm-hmm. on a white surface. The ace mevulelis ace fire intertwined with fire, ace chatsuva me'ez, fire yud out of fire, the nesuna me'ez, and given out of fire, dechsiv, minino, eshtas, lamo, it was a fiery thing. So again, all of this discussion about the physicality of it, it ends by obviously emphasizing, you know, its uh, obviously divine nature and the impossibility of embodying it in any type of a physical reality. Okay, and we're